Good. Well, it's good to be back among all of you. Um, in some sense, good to be back. In some sense, we had a, a great time uh, in California. We went to four national parks. We went to uh, Arches National Park. That was a, an amazing place there. I forget what the hike, hike that was. And we went to, this is called the Capitol Reef. Kids, do you see us? We are, we are, we are way down there. This place was just massive. It was a, an amazing display of the, of the glory of God. Went to Bryce uh, Canyon. As a great walking down underneath these hoodoos, these big, whatever, sandstorm stuff. It was, uh, it, was, it was amazing. And most of all, amazing was Zion. You can talk to Hannah about her angel's landing walk with, uh, uh, I'm not sure what you'd call it, a rock ridge, a rock fin, walking, and hundreds of feet down on both sides, and uh, not for the faint of heart. That was a, a great time. We toured Hoover Dam. It was kind of cool. We visited SR in uh, Los Angeles, and uh, the three girls went to SR's surfing school, is what they did, and um, SR was really the only one that got up, but they, they, caught, they caught a little bit. They tried. Um, and then we went to church uh, with some friends of ours. It's Calvary Bible Church in Burbank. Um, and uh, Steffi, you're a little red in that picture, right? <laughs> Just a little red. That was after the uh, the trip on Saturday to the beach was was great. Um, and we joined our time in Danville with my my sister in law and brother in law on the left, and their two kids and grandma and grandpa. And so we were all together. Uh, had a had a great time. As the the kids enjoyed swimming in the pool and. And the older guys enjoyed backpacking in the wilderness and sleeping on mats and um, using the facilities outside. And we rode four-wheelers. Um, we met with some uh, missionaries. Uh, this is uh, Alan and Beverly Jin on the left-hand side. Uh, he was a former pastor in Sacramento area. I've made six trips with him to India and Nepal, training pastors with, uh, with LRI. And so that kind of gives you the, the two-minute Brandon family slides. So thanks for enduring that um, for, for us, if you will. Um, but I want to express my thankfulness to the, the seven men who filled in preaching this summer, preaching through the Church of Revelation, um, was, was encouraged by all the messages. You've been well served uh, this summer um, in, in those, those churches. And I was speaking to my father a couple days ago who listens to all of our, our podcasts online. Hi, Dad. How you doing? Everyone say hi, hi Dad. Hi, Dr. Brandon. There you go. <laughs> He'll comment in about a week or two or three whenever he, he gets up to it. But he, he talked about how encouraged he was to see so many capable men just uh, fill the pulpit uh, this, this summer. Uh, I, I had uh, uh, a, a coffee with Tony Sinelli, who's actually preached here. He's uh, our vacation pastor, if you will. Like some people have vacation homes. We have a vacation church since we visit my in-laws every summer out in California. We go to the, the same church every Sunday, every, every summer we attend. And so oftentimes the stand and greet times, you know, people say, oh, are you new? And I say, no, we've, we've been attending here for about 15 years, maybe pushing on 20. It's just, we just attend once a summer is all we do. Um, so anyway, I had coffee with him and tell him what's going on to Rock Valley Bible Church, just the, the body life. We're seeking to do life together. The, the guy's preaching this summer. He was encouraged and and um, he told me of a friend of his, a good friend, a deep friend, uh, who's in Indiana. Um, I forget exactly where, but southern Cincinnati, between Cincinnati, Louisville, Bloomington, somewhere in there. And uh, he's been doing the pastoral grind for about 15 years or so. And uh, 
Tony told me he feels very alone in the ministry. He just hasn't been able to see men rise up and, and train up in the church. He, he feels really burnt out um, because he really can't leave very much. The church is dwindling. He's on the border of uh, picking up a second job. And uh, Tony just uh, encouraged me just in the faithfulness of God here for Rock Valley Bible Church. And what I've experienced is totally different than his friend. And for that, I know that it's just, it's just the grace of God. Um, my, my life could easily be like, like his life, but it's, it's totally God's grace. But we are back, and I'm in the pulpit, and we're returning again to the book of, of Romans. So if you haven't done so already, I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Romans. If you forgot your Bible or, or need a Bible or prefer to use a print version rather than your phone, you can open up to page 939. And uh, since it has been a, a few months since we have been in the book of Romans... And uh, since it's been a year since we started Romans, and we take about a paragraph each time, what, what I thought we'd do today, I think it's time for like a bit of review to kind of catch us up, because next week we'll start the last paragraph of chapter 6, gung-ho. And that was my plan, but I just kind of felt like review, and a review turned into a whole message. So that's what you got today in terms of a, a message of review. Uh, I trust that some of this might be repeat but it's repeated with a reason. Like, these are the things I want you to have. I want you to, like, embrace them. I want you to be convinced of them, to say, yes, this is what Romans is, is about. So Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome because he wanted to see them. He wanted to strengthen them and encourage them and uh, to help them. We see that in chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, verse 11. I long to see you. Why, Paul? Why do you long to see those in Rome? That I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. There is. He wanted to strengthen them. He wanted to, to help them. And he says in verse 12, clarifying, he says, That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So there he is, Paul pictured a time of, of genuine Christian fellowship where he would be with those in Rome There'd be this give and take where, where he would be giving and he would be receiving and the people of the congregation would be receiving and they would be giving and, and that there would be this mutual encouragement that they would, would encourage each other about, about how God's been faithful to them. How Paul would, would be encouraged by how the Lord is strengthening his people and how the progress of the gospel is going forth in Rome. Now we don't know how long he was there, but I, I, I trust that he would plan to be there for enough time to understand and to be around the fellowship of, of the community. You know, one of the things that we uh, learned on vacation, I think there's a blog post, I'm not sure if some of you may have read this, I linked it in the Weekly Word, put it in the Weekly Word, uh, I know a lot of you don't read everything, but I just want to read this to you to give you an idea of one thing we learned on vacation. It says, our vacation this summer, we had the opportunity to attend a few churches, and the music was nice, the preaching was good, the Bible was prominent, God was central but something was missing. I said community was missing. Not their community, but our membership within that community was missing. We noticed visible signs of strong and active communities before and after services. People were talking, expressing their care for one another, but we simply weren't a part of it. We aren't together with them all year long. We aren't involved in their lives. We're like distant cousins, not close brothers and sisters without the blessing of a depth of relationship with those around us. The church services were mostly about God and us, because they weren't about other people around us. And Now, certainly this isn't bad, but it felt shallow. 
It felt like mere ceremony, devoid of accountability and mutual encouragement, like Paul's talking about in Romans 1, 11 and 12, like this, this giving and sharing and taking and giving. It says, this is not a regular experience at church. Usually we worship the Lord in the presence of those we know and love. And the, this experience was entirely different. This experience is entirely different. It's deeper. It's more profound. It feels like family. The writer of Hebrews connects worship with community. He connects ceremony with the life in the body. He writes, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Certainly, this can and must be done through ceremony of singing and scripture reading and prayer and preaching. There must be reverence and awe for worship deals with the gravest realities of life. Apart from Christ, we're consumed in the fiery wrath of God. But this cannot be devoid of community. The author continues in the very next verse with this exhortation, let brotherly love continue. That's the verse, by the way, that Tony Sinelli preached on. We were there, let brotherly love continue. This is what was missing from the churches we visited on vacation. Now, it's not to say they weren't loving. They were loving. Uh, we felt their love through their kindness and grace. Nor is to say that they were uncommitted in serving Christ, because they were. Our conversations with them were centered on Christ and ministry. But it is to say that we weren't a member of their family to be included in brotherly love. We weren't engaged in brotherly love with them like at our home church. We felt void. We're looking to worshiping with our church community this Sunday. So we're here. I'm here at least. Um, Ivana, I'll tell you, she's in Germany right now. I'll, I'll tell you more about that uh, a little bit later. But, but the idea there is, it, it, was, it was very interesting for us that apart from a community, our worship was, was just like this. Like a, like a, a, like a, a, a thin, think about a cylinder, like a silo, kind of reaching up to our guy. And that's good and that's helpful. But rather than being like a big, a big basin like it is here, when you know people as well. And so, you know, I just encourage you to even think about where you are. Like, how connected are you with, with people here? And it might be that this is all your experiences of church. And I would say for us, that felt very empty this summer. But be around and seek to engage more, more plural, more out, so that, so that you just engage with each other life on life and your worship will be fuller and richer. And that's what Paul was longing for. We don't know how long he's going to be there, but um, certainly he was going to be there as a pastor, as a minister, as an apostle, trying to be around the, the people. But while he was there, Paul had a longing. He was longing to preach the gospel to the church in Rome. Look at chapter 1, verse 15. So I also am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. This is my first point of my message this morning. Preaching sin salvation and sanctification. My first point has to do with this preaching word. Paul was eager to preach the gospel to those in Rome. He wanted to be in Rome. He wanted to open the word of God to those in Rome. He wanted to speak to those in the church about the good news of Christ, how He died on the cross for our sins, and how we receive salvation by faith in Him alone. It's what God has called Paul to do. It's the very first verse of Romans. Look at Romans 1.1. Paul, the servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. God had set Paul apart for the gospel. To believe it, as he did in the road of Emmaus, and for, us, for the rest of his life, and also then to preach it. And he was eager to do this in, the Rome, in Rome. He was eager to make Jesus Christ known, verse 3 and 4, uh, concerning his son. This is the gospel, who was descended from David according to the flesh. He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. 
And because he's raised from the dead, the argument goes that we too can live. We simply need to believe in him and believe in his sacrifice. And God then, by his grace, gives us eternal life. And that's the good news. I mean, what better news do you have than that, than eternal life? You can, you can speak about temporal things or temporal blessings, and that's good and that's great, but this is the best news of all when you're talking about eternal blessings that will be with us life forever. And in fact, this verse is the, the verse that we have used, the big picture of the book of Romans, right? Eager to preach the gospel. It's a call of the book of Romans. Is a, is a call, the application of that is, is for us to be eager to preach the gospel as well. And, and, and I trust as we go through Romans, we're just going to be deeper and deeper in, in the gospel. And so that would cause us then to, to share it and be talking about it with others. You know, many people come to the book of Romans and, and treat it like a theological treatise. I mean, a place where the great doctrines of, of the gospel are presented, right? Where salvation is, is explained and where God's sovereignty is presented and the role of Israel and, and how secure we are in Jesus. And they go to the Romans to understand the, the gospel. And, and in many regards, that's exactly what Romans is. But if that's where it stays, just in the understanding, and doesn't get to the mouth where you speak, you've missed Romans. If it's just, oh, now I understand my salvation better, you've missed Romans. Because Paul's whole passion is to, uh, is to understand it and to, to speak it. I mean, think of Paul's purpose, okay, was to come to Rome in order to gather some traction to help in spreading the gospel. He wasn't just saying, here, I want you to understand the gospel better. He was saying, okay, here's what it's about, and I hope that you, you help me spread it even more. Turn over to chapter 15. This is where we see the purpose of Paul writing. And this is where it, it's helpful for us to go back again and review, to see again afresh what Romans is about. Paul writes in verse 14, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. In other words, the church of Rome is filled with faithful believers walking with the Lord, filled with goodness and knowledge. They're, they're walking righteously. They, they understand clearly the, the issues of, of God, and, they, and they're sharing that. They're instructing one another. They certainly have capable teachers in their congregation who are able to, to teach them, and they, they're able to stand on their own. But they had some issues, and that's what Paul addresses in verse 15, where he says, but on some points... I have written to you very boldly. And what that means is there's some points that kind of maybe came across a little hard to you. He says, by way of reminder, he says, because of the grace given to me by God to be minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that in the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You see his, his emphasis here on the Gentiles. I'm going to the Gentiles. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, a, a minister to the Gentiles. God has set me apart from that. And I think that that clues you off where he's been pushing them. And I think if you read chapters 14 and 15, Paul deals with the cultural difficulties of mixing Jew and Gentile. Which, you know, you've got these religious people who kept these days and these diets for years and generations and generations is what they did. They always kept the Sabbath. And they only ate kosher. And then you've got these pagan Gentiles coming in who know nothing of that, don't have any scruples about that. And, and, and like, how do they mix? And I've said before that that mix there is far greater than any mix that we would have in America, African-American, Anglo, any sort of cultural mix is, is greater what they had. Because they had the, the steepest, the deepest of religious people on the one side, and you had the most pagan of the pagan, especially think of Rome, right? The, the pantheon of gods, right? The, the, that's what they worshipped. 
the mythology of, of those sort of things. And so in those difficult in those, those, those passages, in chapters 14 and 15, basically he said, um, tolerate one another. These aren't, these aren't life and salvation issues. These are, these are matters that let each one be convinced in his own mind. All are going to stand before the Lord, chapter 14, verse 10. So, so don't cast judgment on other people because they just live differently than you do. So we ought not to make our family cultures pushing on other people is what really the application there is. And, you know, it does help clarify the Sabbath issue. The Sabbath issue is be convinced for yourself. And the dietary issue, you want to eat the way of the Old Testament, well, be convinced to yourself. You want to follow that way? Wonderful. But Paul says the one who eats, eats to the Lord. The one who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. And so that's, we'll, we'll get into that when we get into chapter 14, but I think that's where he was, he was pushing. And I do think that he was aiming towards the Jews. He was aiming toward the religious people to tolerate the the newcomers in the faith, the Gentiles in the faith. Religious people can be intolerant many times. Yeah, I live it to my standard. I mean, just look, churches that, that go on for, for a long time tend to be more and more legalistic. This is what we do. This is what we do. This is what we do. And you can have a lot of snobbery when people get too religious. And I think that was the issue with the Jews because you're talking about the Gentiles. And, and he even continues on. Look at verse 17. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. In Christ, of course. Verse 18, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. In other words, the Gentiles have come in by word and deed, so, so don't, don't conflict them. Bring them in and embrace them by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around Illyricum I have filled, fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus, here it is, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. See, you get Paul's heart in the letter. He says, I've been in Jerusalem all the way around Illyricum, which is modern-day Albania. I've been all around that place, and I've fulfilled my ministry. But now I want to go beyond. Now I want to go, actually he's going to talk about going to, to Spain. Look at verse 22. This is the reason I've often been hindered to coming to you. But now... Since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I've enjoyed your company for a while. When Paul says, I hope to be encouraged or helped on by you on my journey, that means, I hope you help me financially as I go to Spain. This is a, like a missionary support letter of what Paul is wanting, and and. and and Paul says, I want you to help me financially, resource-wise, maybe with, uh, give me a boat, or, or give me whatever, tools, or give me help, or help me with this, how, or come with me, or whatever, but financially, absolutely, to go to Spain, he says, because they've never heard of Jesus. And they need to hear the gospel. I've been, I've been here, but I need to go here, because they've not heard the gospel yet, and I'm praying that you'll be willing and able to help me on my way. And then, in verses... Um, uh, 25 through 29, Paul talks about the travel details, and, and here they are, right? He's, he's somewhere around there. He's going to go to Jerusalem, into Rome, and heading west to Spain. At present time, verse 25, however, I'm going to Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints. So the, the poor in Jerusalem are having to struggle. The Gentiles raised a fund. He's taking that money to Jerusalem. He says, For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, verse 27, for they were pleased to do it. 
And indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to be of service to them in the material blessings. When, therefore, I've completed this in Jerusalem and have delivered to them what's been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now, we think probably that when he went to Jerusalem, that's when he was arrested, bound in Caesarea, appealed to Caesar, and then the Roman army. He was sent by, by uh, Roman command to go to Rome. So he went there, not quite the way he was thinking about going there, but probably went there. Whether he went on to Spain or not, uh, nobody really knows. He may not have gotten there. But this is his heart. His heart was to be there in Rome, free, so he could go and preach the gospel to Spain. And, and that's why I say that, that Romans is more of a missionary appeal than it is a doctrinal treatise on salvation. Because Paul wanted to preach the gospel, and so he wanted support. And, and, and Romans fits into this, says, this is the gospel that I preach. This is the gospel you need to know. This is the gospel I want desperately to preach to you all. And this is the gospel that I want to take to Spain where they don't have the gospel. And, and again, application, are you eager to preach the gospel? Are you eager to preach the gospel? When was the last time you had an opportunity with the gospel with someone? Just start... Start thinking that through. When was the last time? Maybe you ought to be praying for that. Uh, a book I read recently um, mentioned about a, a, guy's, a guy's passion that he's got on his calendar at 10.02 in the morning a quote that says from Luke 10, verse 2, that says, Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would raise up workers to go into the harvest. And uh, so I've, I've taken that practice in the last month or so, and that wherever I am, that thing comes up, I just stop what I'm doing. I take one minute. I pray from 10.02 to 10.03 for God to raise up laborers to go into the harvest. I'm praying for you all to have opportunities to share the gospel with people. When was the last time? Well, I had an opportunity this summer while on vacation. So I want to tell you, we went... Uh, so my, my in-laws live in uh, the Bay Area, and they own a, a property, joining one with his brother, um, my, my father-in-law with his brother, and uh, way up north, very rustic property, Modoc County. It's, it's where there's lots of land, very few houses. It's where the rednecks live. Okay, we're talking picnic pickups, shotguns, and, and even we heard about growing some marijuana up there. And so... Uh, and see, here's a, here's a picture, right? I brought my drone up there. It's in Modoc County. And so I dropped my, brought my drone up there and wanted to fly the property and see what it was like. There's too many trees. You really couldn't see a whole lot, but this is what we saw. But right here, this is uh, Schneider Ranch Road right down where they, they live. There's like one house beyond that. Other than that, there's some government land here and a big, uh, a big, big place up there. So one morning, I'm flying it down Schneider Ranch Road. And uh, in the afternoon, my in-laws went and paid a visit to their neighbor, which is like down the street, maybe a quarter of a mile or so, George Ash, and they had something to talk to him about. I forget what it was. Anyway, it came up uh, that I brought my drone up there and was flying, and he said, you know what? I saw that in the morning, and, and I went, and I got my, I was, I was thinking about shooting that thing down, is, is what he said. And uh, which is illegal, but is consistent with those parts of the country, if you know, if you know what I mean. Um, and, and that's when he told me about the, the guys growing marijuana up. They said, probably better not to fly your drone over there. 
their property there. So I stayed away from their property is, is what I did. But anyway, they'd forgotten something there, and then old George came over. And old, I say old George. He's probably 83 years old, and, and boy, can he talk about the storm. He was talking about the beetle infestation among all the, all the pine trees in uh, the Modoc area is calling down, and he told all about how they were growing and how do I spot them and how you get them and how you cut the tree down before they, they infest and try to burn them. And I'm like, you can't fight the beetles. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna infest regardless. But um, one thing got to another, and uh, he showed me this picture, and then the pool table came up, and he invited me to play pool. And so uh, I'm thinking for my future droning possibilities up there in the property, it'd be kind of good to be on his his good side. And so I... I went, and I, I like playing pool, and so I took him up on, on the offer. And so I drove down to his house, went to his man cave, which is what this is. This is like his man cabin. Is kind of, he built this whole cabin, put a pool table in there, and has a, a shindig every, every week, and has people coming over. And, and you can't see behind this, there's a, a wet bar, tons of alcohol, uh, hard liquor along the side. And so first thing he does, he offers me a drink. And uh, so I kind of declined, and uh, I, I said, I'll, I'll, I'll take a soda. Yeah, he looked and looked, don't have any soda. <laughs> I was like, what are you drinking soda for? And um, I said, well, water's fine. He said, I don't got any water either. So, so I said, I'm fine, I'm fine. And so we, we shot some pool. He turned on the country music, and we played pool as he drank his whiskey for about an hour or so. And we transitioned from one topic to another, but there was a point when I had an opportunity just to tell him what I, I do as a pastor. I said, you know, I, I teach the Bible. I just open up the Bible verse by verse and tell people and teach people what the Bible is. And the Bible teaches about how, how sins can be forgiven through Jesus Christ. And what, what a great job it is. I, I just encourage people to, to believe and trust in Christ because there's where our hope is for eternal life. And then he began to tell me, about this minister who lives over here who's got a relationship. And then a little bit later, he tells about his life and his sins and his struggles and even why, why he drinks alcohol, right? Because it makes him feel good. Kind of like he's in the end of his life. Things have been hard. Things have been rough. And I know I'm not right. Things aren't right. But it, this makes me feel good. And, uh, you know, he didn't believe in Jesus. But I had an opportunity to tell him. And, you know, it didn't happen by accident either. It took some effort. I, I knew going to his house. I said, you know what? This guy might be a great opportunity. It might be the only time I ever see him or meet him. Maybe I'll, I'll see him next year. But just praying, God, give me an opportunity for the gospel. Give me an opportunity. So we're playing pool, but I'm playing pool for another reason, to have an opportunity to speak with him. And, and God was faithful to provide a natural way. But it, it comes through prayer, and it comes through intentionality, of saying, I really want to, to do this. That is the call of the book of Romans is to preach the gospel. Let me say, are, are you praying for opportunities to preach the gospel to the people? As we work our way through Romans, what a shame it would be if we just merely as a church grow in our understanding of the gospel and fail to let it impact our, our speaking opportunities. You share with those who are lost what we've been learning about the glories of God in salvation. I mean, the whole idea of Romans is to be actively involved in sharing the, the gospel that Paul outlines. And we've seen here in Romans, right, the outline of the gospel. Six words. Sin, salvation, sanctification, security, sovereignty, and service. And these are six good words to keep in mind, particularly even the first two, maybe the first three, just in your mind. Even those first two, right, sin and salvation, Right, sin and salvation. If you want to preach the gospel of people or 
preach the sin so they understand their need and then preach salvation, preach the glories of Christ. And so as we're thinking about preaching sin and salvation, sin comes in chapters 1 through 3 and Paul paints the picture dark. That's kind of a dark slide, right? That's in, intentional, okay? I was trying to weigh how, how dark to make it. It's a dark slide. It's intentionally dark because that's what Paul is preaching in, in chapters 1 through 3. We know that through creation, God has made himself clear and manifest to everybody. All right, this next week, I don't even know exactly when it is. There's some solar eclipse coming. Is that like a week from Monday or Sunday night? When is it? 21st? That's Monday. Okay, so Monday. So there's been around the news a lot about this big eclipse and how it's going to like go right across our nation. You know what that's causing people to do? It's causing many, many people to think about the sun and think about the earth and think about the moon and think about the stars. And you know what those things tell us about? They tell us about God. And yet there'll be many people who, who won't repent, who will continue to go their wayward way, even in the midst of all this stuff about God and, and about, about the sun and the creation and the, how the moon works and just the space and the distance, just, just amazing. And as people turn away, even as he made himself clearly known through the creation, God is angry. This is preaching sin, that God is angry with their sin. The wrath of God, Romans 1.18, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness they suppress the truth. God's screaming in the heavens. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the eclipse is declaring the glory of God. And yet, we'll see that and are suppressing the truth. Verse 21, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became fewer in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And God's anger is poured out to all on the planet because all on the planet know. And Paul in Romans 1 through 3 just talks about, okay, you've got these, these pagans who, who don't have the scriptures. You talk about the moral people. Maybe these are religious people who know right and wrong. And then you've got the Jews. The Jews who have the law. And, and, and these, Paul says in chapter 2, verse 12, all who sin without the law will perish without the law. All who sin under the law will be judged by the law. So it doesn't matter whether you're religious or non-religious or whether you know a lot about God or whether you don't. We're all under sin. Religious or non-religious, like my friend in California. All of us. Catch the depth. Chapter 3, 9 through 12. What then? Are we Jews any better off? Not at all. We're, the Jews who have the scriptures aren't better than the Greeks in terms of sin. Right when you measure it, it says, For we have already charged, this is like the conclusion, that all, both Jews and Greeks, are all under sin. As is written, Psalm 53, Psalm 14, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. It's a pretty bleak and pretty dark. But, but that's the reality and it's no accident that Paul begins here because in order to be saved from your sin, you need to know your sin. That's why we need to be eager to preach the gospel. We need to be preaching sin. Okay, my friend George knew full well of his sin. I mean, when he found out I was a pastor, I mean, he, he let it out. It, it, it's interesting, though, as you think about it, it's not so hard to get people to see that they're sinful. They've done some bad things 
I mean, I don't know anybody who'd be claimed to be perfect morally. I mean, some people, yeah, I'm not perfect. Okay, so if they say, yeah, I'm not perfect, we're like, okay. Uh, you know, there's a verse in the Bible that says all of us aren't perfect, and we've fallen short of the glory of God. And falling short of the glory of God means that God's wrath is upon us. See, the, the, the difficulty in preaching sin isn't so much convincing people they sin. The difficulty is, is, is preaching how deep that sin is, or, or letting people see how deep that is, or understanding their depravity, or, or how sinful it is, and they are under the wrath of God. That's the hard part. I mean, people admit, yeah, I, I lied, I, I stole, but, but to get them to really feel like I've fallen short, and I need to be 100% perfectly moral to enter the kingdom. That's where it's hard. In many ways, in some, some regards, supernatural. People aren't going to see their sin unless God works. Or maybe like the prodigal son, right? It just feel red for us. He, he's out there, and only when he was out there and reaped the, the fruit of his work did he say, oh, this, this is bad stuff. I need to go back. I know my father's loving. I need to go back there. But he says, I'm willing to go back as a servant. He, he saw his sin. And, but the older brother didn't see his sin, I think was a problem with him. People will admit they're sinners, but I don't think they'll see the extent of their sin until God shows it to them, until their heart really, really burns. These are dark things, and Paul brought it dark, and we went through a couple months of sin. And uh, then, when we hit chapter 3, verse 21, that blessed but, that's where things changed, where it became bright now, the glory of Christ shines brightly against the backdrop of our sin. That's what we see in chapters 3 through 5 where Paul was, was eager to preach and he's, he's preaching sin, he's encouraging us, I'm encouraging you, and then preach salvation. The wrath of God has been revealed because of our sin, chapter 118, and chapter 321 picks that up. If you want to write in your Bible, 118, right by 321, because it's like it starts in 118 that God is angry with us, but then in, in 321 he's going to speak about his righteousness coming to us to solve his anger problem. But now, verse 21, the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Here it is, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And in chapters 4 and 5, Paul just lays out what amazing grace this is. We are justified, verse 24 says, as a gift, by His grace, as a gift. He justifies a gift through faith as we simply believe in Him. You know, God deals with us just like he dealt with Abraham. Chapter 4, verse 9. With Abraham, it says, um, we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. I've shown this slide to you before. I want to show it to you again. It's got to be ingrained in your mind because this is the heart of the gospel, that Abraham believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. So we got Abraham down here. We got the Lord up there. And as Abraham believes, the Lord gives him righteousness. And that is, is the gospel, that, that when we believe in God, God takes our faith and credits it to our account as righteousness. So, so our, our faith to God becomes as good as, or even better, as perfect righteousness for God. That's, that's how God does the accounting. 
And that's the glory of the gospel. Not that we are righteous in ourselves, but that God, through Jesus Christ, takes our faith, gives us righteousness. I think one of the best ways to say it is the way that Martin Luther did. Simul justus et peccator. Who knows what that means? Dallas, trust in you. Okay, if you don't know what that means, that is good. Let's invite my friend, okay? We're going to invite uh, R.C. Sproul to come and preach this morning to us. Haven't really done this before, but it's a five-minute five minute video here. Am I getting some volume here? Hang on. Most famous. Okay, good. We're getting some volume. Here we go. Right, right back. Five minutes. Come on, Perhaps R.C. the formula that Luther used that is most famous and most telling at this point is his formula simul justus et peccator. And if any formula summarizes and captures the essence of the Reformation view, it is this little formula. Simul is the word from which we get the English word simultaneously, or it means at the same time, justus is the Latin word for just or righteous. And you all know what et is. Et is the past tense of the verb to eat. Have you et your dinner? No. No, you know that's not what that means. You remember in the death scene of Caesar, after he's been stabbed by Brutus, he says, et tu Brute, then fall Caesar. And you too, Brutus, it simply means and. Pecotter means sinner. And so, with this formula, Luther was saying, in our justification, we are at one and the same time righteous or just and sinners. Now, if he would say that we are at the same time and in the same relationship, just and sinners, that would be a contradiction in terms. But that's not what he was saying. He was saying, from one perspective, in one sense, we are just. In another sense, from a different perspective, we are sinners. And how he defines that is simple. In and of ourselves, under the analysis of God's scrutiny, we still have sin. We're still sinners. But by imputation and by faith in Jesus Christ, whose righteousness is now transferred to our account, then we are considered just or righteous. This is the very heart of the gospel. Will I be judged in order to get into heaven by my righteousness or by the righteousness of Christ? If I had to trust in my righteousness to get into heaven, I would completely and utterly despair of any possibility of ever being redeemed. 
But when we see that the righteousness that is ours by faith is the perfect righteousness of Christ, then we see how glorious is the good news of the gospel. The good news is simply this. I can be reconciled to God. I can be justified by God, not on the basis of what I did, but on the basis of what's been accomplished for me by Christ. But at the heart of the gospel is a double imputation. My sin is imputed to Jesus. His righteousness is imputed to me. And in this twofold transaction, we see that God, who does not negotiate sin, who doesn't compromise his own integrity with our salvation, but rather punishes sin fully and really after it has been imputed to Jesus, retains his own righteousness, and so he is both just and the justifier, as the apostle tells us here. So my sin goes to Jesus. His righteousness comes to me in the sight of God. Okay. Thanks, thanks, R.C. This is uh, Simo Eustace et Picotter. Simultaneously just and sinners. That is, that is the gospel, and, and that is why chapter 3, verse, uh, I think it's 25, uh, verse 26, that God might be just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. He's just in that he punished sin in Christ, right? and he is the justifier, the one who gives us, grants us righteousness through our, our faith. That's the glories of the gospel we have to preach to others. You know, we are, we're bringing good news that we're at the same time right, sinners, at the same time justified. By the way, um, this is just a, a parenthesis here, um, that Avon's mother uh, really wanted to go on the reform... Ligonier, this is Ligonier, uh, R.C. Sproul is part of Ligonier Ministries. They are doing a, a, a 500th anniversary reformation tour in uh, Germany, and my mother-in-law wanted to go, but... Father-in-law didn't want to go. And so she said, Yvonne, would you come and kind of escort me and, and help me with this? And Yvonne asked me, I said, let me pray. For, yeah, you should go. And so, so they left. Yeah, she's in Berlin right now. They're going to go to Wittenberg where he posted his theses, to Erfurt where he's ordained as a monk. Going to go to Eisenach where he took refuge in Wartburg Castle. You've been to all these places, Dirk? Not really. Okay. It's like we in America, we've not gone to the, the places around us, right? Or the Worms where Luther defended his stand, or Heidelberg where he articulated his views of the Heidelberg disputation. And so, so we are actually momless for uh, whatever, 10 days or so. So if you want to have us for dinner, you're more than welcome to have a, have a bachelor and a couple of kids. Hannah probably won't. She's so busy, but probably just us and Stevie and David. And so, so we'd be glad to come. We, and I told that to Yvonne, I'm going to make that opportunity. She said, but I've got all this food for you in the freezer. And so we're okay. We're okay, so don't feel... Maybe I shouldn't tell you that. So we're... <laughs> we would be... If you, want, if you want to have pastor come and visit your house, I would be glad to do that. We can work it in our schedule. So anyway, right, we are talking preaching the gospel. Okay? Being eager to preach. Preaching sin preaching salvation, preaching sanctification. I'll just be real short on this because I think the first two are the key. 
and, and I'm running, running out of time. Um, but I say preaching sanctification. You need to be careful. Because I'm not preaching you need to be sanctified before you're saved, right? It's salvation and then sanctification. That you are saved and then you're in the process of being sanctified. I'm not advocating preaching rules and regulations as some means to sanctification or some means to getting right with God. But that's not what Paul is addressing in 6 and 7. But he's addressing an objection that comes in 6 and 7 when he talks about his justification. He talks about sanctification. And the objection, first one is found in chapter 1, chapter 6, verse 1. The second one is found in chapter 6, verse 15. Chapter 6, verse 1 deals with grace. Chapter 6, verse 15 deals with law. And he's going to pick up that in Romans chapter 7. been studying my vacation a lot about Romans chapter 7 because it's so confusing. Memorize the chapter, thinking it through, reading a book on the chapter, just trying to understand how... Uh, what exactly it means, but it does mean the struggle. So, so Paul is saying this. Okay, so if we're saved by grace, the, the objection comes, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, that question, like so many of Paul's questions, you say, okay, so why would Paul interject this question? So you've got you to think about it. And uh, you say, okay, why would he object? And, and what he's doing, he's putting putting someone else's face. So, so what should we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound, Paul? And here's, here's the issue. Salvation is so glorious and so free and so filled with grace. And when sin abounds, grace superabounds. And that's what, what grace is in salvation. And it leads people to say, I just, should I sin? I mean, it's grace. Let grace abound so I can sin. And so that's the accusation. And, and, and the second thing you need to see, how, so first understand the accusation, and then understand how Paul answers the question, because if Paul answers the question a different way than you understand, then you haven't understood what Paul is saying. And this becomes crucial in chapter 9. Okay? But in chapter 6, it, it goes like this. It, is that it, if Paul said, oh, no, no, verse 2, no, you, you, don't, you don't understand. So yeah, grace is free, but, but there are some conditions. It's conditioned upon our, our actions. See, see, God doesn't save the people and let them do what they want. See, when God saves the people, they, he kind of expects something in return. And, and like this guy would be, should we, should we sin that grace may abound? Oh, no, God expects something for in return. Oh, okay, that now I understand. But that's not at all what he says. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't go along that line at all. He, he is clear that it's grace. is totally grace. And he argues, verse 2, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? In other words, we are changed and we are transformed and God has radically molded us to be different. So when we believe we're totally different, we have died to sin, then how can we, how can we live in sin? Because God has changed us and transformed us and we've been united with Christ. We just, we just can't do that. It's not an ought or an obligation. It's because of what God has done for us. And then the second objection comes in verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? In other words, right? Oh, there's no law now. I'm free from the law. Well, how, what, what, I, can, I can sin now because there's no law? And then Paul comes back again. He says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one whom you obey? Either sin which leads to death or obedience leads to righteousness. In other words, he said part of salvation is becoming a slave and presenting yourself to God as a slave. That's what faith means. Faith means that I'm trusting you. You are my Lord. You're my master. And a master implies a slave. And 
I'm, I'm your slave. And so that's how the, the law works. It's not something that we have to do after that. And, and we're going to get in into that much more in chapter 7. I'll just give you a taste. And next week will be chapter 6, 20 through 23. But then we work through the, the key verse. is verse 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? The law. The law is good. Did it bring death to me? He says, no, it's your sin that's producing death in you. And the struggle. So sanctification, we're going to be talking about the struggle, the struggle which all of us face, right? We, we want to obey God, but there's something in our flesh that just pulls us. And this whole, this whole wrestle and the struggle uh, we will work through in, uh, in future days. But I just encourage you, just think about Romans so far. Are you eager to preach the gospel? If so, preach sin and preach salvation. Preach sin dark and hard. Lead people to despair and then come in with an overpowering brightness the salvation that's in Jesus. And then when the questions come up with struggling or with sin or your own sin, they look at you and they say, you're not perfect. Yeah, that's what chapter 6 and 7 deal with and how we respond to the gospel in a, in a right way. So let's pray. Father, at, at 10.02, um, every day, God, even this morning as we were starting, I know our service started late because my alarm went off and just praying for, for laborers in the harvest. Oh, God, to, to take this message and, and apply it. And so, Father, I would pray, even as I, I put on the notes of a conversation starter, just who, who are you burdened with? God, may that question be asked of, of each of us. Who are you burdened with? You just want to share the gospel with them. And, God, may you just be gracious to answer our prayers, to give us boldness to speak of sin and salvation. God, the glorious hope that's in Jesus. And so, Lord, I, I pray also as we... We continue walking through Romans. I pray to transform us, that we would be speakers of the gospel and not merely hearers only, not, not just for our own edification, our own hearts and minds, God, but, but really for the, for the glory of you, as you, by your, by your sovereign hand, might delight to save people, God, who hear our word. And so I, I pray that you would help us with that. Oh, God, bless us this week. God, be with us. May we love one another, serve one another, stimulate one another to love and good deeds as we are a community of believers seeking to worship you, God. So be with us and help us and strengthen us in all ways. In Christ's name, amen.